Hello everyone and welcome to Voices of Football. My name is Ben Haynes. If you're listening for the first time, it's great to have you along with us. If you've been here since the beginning and been here since the first season, then it's wicked that you're still joining us and it's great to have you along for the ride once more. Now, today, a really, really special episode for two reasons, really. The first is that the episode we've done is is with Alistair Campbell who is someone that I've really, really enjoyed listening to over the years. Um, an incredibly important figure in political history, but also, I think more importantly, he's a Burnley fan and a massive Burnley fan. He does commentary for Burnley on uh, on match days for Burnley for games at home. But also, as you'll see over the course of this uh, of this podcast, he uses Burnley as a as a real part of his identity, as a real part of who he is. And we kind of got into that very quickly. Um, and I think that's particularly important because we spoke a lot in this podcast about his new book, Living Better, which is about his struggles with depression and his struggles with his own mental health. Um, and I just want to say firstly, thank you to Alistair so much for his time because it was really, really special to get to spend that time with him. Um, and for being so open and so honest and authentic with us, which is something that I really, really appreciate um, for for making us so welcome in his garden at home, which was really fantastic. Um, and also for sharing his love of Burnley with us. Um, the second reason why this podcast is really special is because I got to do it with with Lawrence Bury, who a lot of you will know, I'm sure, from the 90 Min Studio shows. And you should check out all of his work on his YouTube channel, on his Instagram, on his Twitter as well. He's a fantastic guy. And I know for Lawrence, this was a, a special experience too, getting to to meet Alastair and, and speak to him. So I really hope you enjoy the pod. If you do, be sure to leave us a review. Um, if you can, leave us a rating. That would be wicked as well. And make sure you check out Alastair's new book, Living Better. You won't regret it. We've got such a special show for you today. I'm joined by Boothie, but I'm also joined by Alistair Campbell. Thank you so much for having us in your lovely home. This is in incredibly kind of you to have us here. Well, we're not that out, are we? <laughs> <laughs> what else are we going to do? Oh, my God, now I'm breaking. Hey, you ripped my chair. You ripped my chair. Two minutes in, I'm we do. ruining your set as well. Um, I, I wanted to ask you, first and foremost, how do you describe yourself when people ask, they, so what do you do? What do you say now? Uh, well, my website says writer, communicator, strategist. Okay. So that's kind of how I think about myself. But I it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an odd one, that, because most people in Britain sort of vaguely know, so you don't need to sort of say too much. But it's true abroad, if, quite often abroad, if somebody's, you know, bumping into somebody playing, what do you do? And I, I usually sort of say, well, I, I used to be in politics and now I do a lot of different things. That's kind of what I say. And where would you rank being a Burnley fan? in your identity high of who you are, really high yeah very high um in fact funny enough the i know you've 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 read the book and people laugh about this but burnley's a very very not just my identity it's a very important part of my my health my psyche and keeping myself together um yeah burnley's big uh, very big in fact there's there's <laughs> i don't even remember the bit where we go right into the dark bits all straight away <laughs> the bit where i'm imagining my funeral when I get very kind of depressed and I'm bunching my funeral and, and, and there's the coffin and it's half Campbell Tartan and half Claret and Blue. So that's kind of... And that's the, the, the level of, uh, the level yeah. of Burnley-tinted uh, lens that kind of goes yeah, over. Yeah, and, and funny, you know, in, in, in lockdown, I wrote a piece for the New European, 20 things that I missed most in lockdown, and Burnley was number one. And I worked out as well, it wasn't football, it was Burnley. Yeah, now, this is an interesting distinction because for Lawrence and I... We, 
football occupies not only sort of social life, mm. we play football together, we support football, different teams, not just as a City fan, and slash <laughs> Bristol. Bristol City? Are you a City? Yeah. No, Man, Man City mostly. Yeah. Okay, fine. Oh, two so, teams, come on. Uh, one from geographical sort of point of view, and then another <laughs> from familiar. <laughs> Different <laughs> divisions. From, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's basically saying you think Bristol City can never get into the top flight. Well, that's yeah, I, I can't agree. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. But it, but it also occupies this now, it occupies a workspace for us as yeah. well, so it's kind of drifted into all sections of yeah. life to the point where actually it's not just defining in terms of what you talk about with your mates and everything but it also as you said occupies a space of kind of like consistency yeah. it provides a backdrop for you for kind of almost everything well you know? i worked out that what i really missed about the football other than the obvious about you know you like watching football wasn't just about the football it was like it was the it was the logistics it was the travel it was the things that you do it was the people you see in the same places and you know it's like when i go to burnley there are people i meet there that i've known for like more than 50 years and some of them I don't know their name because you've met them sort of bit by bit at different away grounds around the country. You say, oh, mate, how are you doing? Oh, you know, it's always crummy. mate, bud. And, yeah, and, <laughs> and then, you know, and, and you get to a point where it's so like they know who I am, but I get to a point where, well, I can't, after 50 years, I can't <laughs> yeah, say yeah. what's your name. So unless you hear somebody else call them their name, you, you know, and so it's all that and then it's the... It's also the rhythm to the week, I think, is a big, always a big thing for me. So like, even when I was working in a kind of proper job, I would try to get to as many games as I could because the rhythm of the week was important. I feel like we should skip ahead to that yeah. question, shouldn't we? Go on, Vili. Well, no, I was interested about the sort of lockdown because obviously as a City fan, you know, I didn't want Liverpool to win the league. So I thought any, any debate about um, not returning football back, trying to cancel the season... It's quite interesting, but you're talking about the rhythm of the game. Obviously, there were no fans in any of the matches at the end of the season. Yeah. Do you think sort of football was kind of diluted because of that? Do you think oh, that was the right big thing time. to do? Oh no, I think it was. I think it was. I think it was right to try and get the season done. And to be fair, you know, you saw on the kitchen table. I'm reading this book about Klopp at the moment, in German, and I, <laughs> I, I actually thought it was good that Liverpool won the league because I think they were just fantastic it, yeah. to watch, and they were, yeah. and they definitely deserved it. And and I do think that. You know, Klopp is, and, and, and the players as well, so they've just brought such a energy and character to the game. So I didn't, I didn't mind that. What I found really interesting in my own kind of relationship with football is that once the games were coming back and they were all on telly, I found myself watching every single minute of every Burnley game with all the build-up and everything else. But the rest of it, I was really struggling to get into it. And I didn't really watch much until the European stuff. Right, okay. So I watched all the European games, but I didn't. I, I wasn't kind That's of really interesting. Why Leicester you... Southampton. It just wasn't doing it for me. <laughs> what, why Even, do you think that was though? I do think. I think it was. Was it Jock Steen who said that football without fans isn't football? Yeah. I, yeah. I think there's something in that. So, the, and I think the fake crowd noise. I couldn't get into that at all. Did you turn it off? I did. I, if I had the choice, I turned yeah. it off. Yeah. I kept it. I wanted to pretend, you know. No, I, and, and also get me closer. Yeah, you know exactly. I mean, <laughs> get me exactly. nearer to the real thing. Yeah. Just, I, I yeah, really the real, the, the real thing in those circumstances. So I went to one game because I do the commentary for the Burnley website sometimes, and I went to um, the game at, at, at the London Stadium against West Ham, and it was weird, honestly. Yeah. It was, uh, it was, there was it just, I can't describe how weird it was. Well, you've been to games, and it's like, the, the, for a while, it was really interesting that you could hear so much on the pitch. You could hear the players. Um, 
It was that that was enjoyable, especially when you know some of them and you saw their their personalities yes. coming out. Yeah, yeah. But that wasn't enough to sustain it for me. It was like I actually came out of the ground feeling just a bit disappointed, a bit hollow, even it? though we won. It was yeah. just a bit weird, and then. So I, th I think the sooner they get fans back, the better. But it's going to be difficult. I think it's going to be very difficult to get back to full grounds. It's one of the things that I noticed is that they play in, sort of over the tunnel, they play the they still play the pre-match music. Yeah. Then the yeah. referee uh -huh. blows the whistle yeah. and then it goes like that and it's pin yeah. drop. And yeah. suddenly you're like, there's usually a roar at this point. Surreal, usually the yeah. roar goes up. Yeah. And but you know, watching that Spurs thing that we were talking about, the Amazon Prime documentary, it was like when you were seeing those European games when they were getting battered by Bayern Munich or... <laughs> <laughs> so much joy in saying that, for God's sake. No, but, the, but just the, the sheer spectacle of them coming out, as you say, with those lights going off. Yeah, yeah. And the crowd just, especially in that amazing new stadium, it was like, and now... And I think these ones that try to, you know, covering it all with flags and all that, I'm just, I don't want people to get used to the idea that it's okay to watch that stuff. Sure. I think yeah. it's far better that we kind of think about how we get fans back. And I do think, I think it's, you know, I'd really love to know what the numbers are for the broadcasters, whether they are managing to hold up, because I'd be surprised if they are. And, and it, so it was very much a case of, for you, the attachment to knowing that it meant a lot to people in the stadium, you know, that there was that atmosphere and there was that little bit more bite to the game, maybe because of because of that. Well, it's interesting, you know, talking to some of the players, some of them, I think, actually are quite enjoying it without fans because they feel it's a bit purer. Mm. Uh, there's definitely, I've noticed, that you definitely get the sense that referees are not, don't feel the pressure the same without a crowd, which you could argue is good for the game. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think also, whereas other players... You know, I'll tell you, I mentioned the West Ham game. We were winning 1-0, about two minutes to go, and West Ham got a corner. And, I, you know, the pre I was in the press box right at the back there, but I, wa I was watching David Moyes. He was really digging deep, trying to get them up for it. And they were all just sort of strolling up for this corner. And if there'd have been that crowd there... 100%. They'd have been pressure on it. Yeah. And that's where pressure does mean something in mm. a crowd, I think. And I think if you've lost that, it means the managers, the coaches, and the leaders in the team, they've got to find an extra something that's going to motivate him. But I think it's hard. And, and I had a chat with David Moyes after the game, and he said he's, he was really finding it hard to, to be in this vast, empty stadium with, you know, it's just not the same. You, you mentioned before about um, having a, a normal job. And I heard you speak about this on Quickly Kevin, which is okay. just one of my favourite <laughs> podcasts. Um, but the idea of trying to balance something that is so unbelievably intense in terms of your work, how do you fit football into that? Or how did you fit football into that? Because it sounds like you're equally passionate about Burnley. Um, I didn't always manage to, but I, I think the first thing you have to do is you have to, you have to try to do that. So you have to say to yourself, right, well, I want to go to a game this week, so I'm, I'm going to try and do that. And, you know, if you think about it, when you, if you you talk about a kind of intense, high-pressure job, how do you fit football into it? Well, imagine if you're like these managers, they're in intense, high-pressure jobs, and it's their job. Yeah. And so I would say that, you know, what, what I did, I, I basically did work and did family. I didn't do much else. I didn't, you know, so you could say, you wouldn't say to somebody, how can you fit in going down the pub every night? Right, <laughs> but loads of people manage that, right? You know, so I didn't do down the pub. I didn't do watching loads of telly. 
um, if I had a bit of sense of a bit of spare time coming up, I would try to get to a game. And then the other thing you can, you can always tell yourself, I do this now, if I, like a home game for me, when we're allowed there, is like nine or 10 o'clock train, meet my mate Paul Fletcher at Preston, drive over, train back, and that's six, seven hours work I can do. So that's the other thing I would, I would yeah. persuade myself that I could work as well. Um, but also the other thing I would tell myself that actually I think it was good for me and how I was feeling about the world that I could do that as a bit of a release and then back into the into the job. So can you tell us a little bit about how it gave you a release? Because I think one of the things that I found reading your book um, was that it made me sort of very acutely aware of the fact that m what was my release, what was my thing, being able to go and support football, when it becomes your job, you suddenly lose that ability to go like, okay, separate, you know, mm. that's there for me. Because mm. I thought originally that you might say within the book, that you, you were potentially going to say something along the lines of, there was too much up and down with Burnley or there was too much riding mm. on it. But no. in actual fact, that wasn't the case for you, no, was it? No, not at all, no. I mean, look, obviously I want Burnley to win and I love it when they do well. Uh, and when you talk about a release, I mean, I'm not somebody who really gets into kind of mass communal emotion. You know, I don't, I don't like weddings. I don't like New Year's Eve. I don't like those moments where everybody's meant to be enjoying it in the same way. I just never feel that. Um, and whereas football, I do feel that. And particularly when we score. Mm. And the other thing about me, unlike real football people, like I can talk to Sean Dyche and Ian Wone about, you know, four seasons ago, they will remember every game, they'll remember the teams, remember who played well, who played badly, they remember how the goals were scored, they'll remember opportunities missed. I don't remember any of it. I'm almost on the train journey back. I will regularly be coming back from a game, yeah. who scored our second goal? <laughs> really? know, and, and then when they say, I'll get it, oh yeah, yeah, but now, and, and, and the other thing, I don't know, you, you must do this as well, I think we all do this, but where you, you confuse your actual memory with the fact that loads of it you've seen again and again and again. So like you mentioned the, in the build-up to Burnley, they play this film, and I always try to get out for the film, and it's kind of great moments in our history. Well, I was at most of them, <laughs> but I now remember that as yeah. opposed to any real memory of when it actually happened. Yeah, that's very true, isn't it? You do start 100%. to get that after a little while, particularly yeah. when you were doing City week in, week out. Yeah, the yeah, exact same thing. City had the Aguero moment, and the Aguero moment is now more of a social media clip that's in the back of your mind. You know, it's a YouTube highlight reel as opposed to yeah. you know, necessarily that being sort of thing. that thing. Yeah. What colour yeah. were QPR wearing? What's that? What colours were QPR wearing? Red and, red and white, yeah. I think. See, I think if you say it to most people, they wouldn't know that, but they... Yeah. Wow, very good. Yeah, well, yeah that's that weird that awakening. I was like, yeah. where, what colour were they wearing? My sort of lasting memory is Joey Barton, the image that I think of Joey Barton giving someone a granddad on his way off the off, Yeah, off exactly, the, the Tevez and all yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, we liked him at Burnley. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. 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 But it must, it must well, help that Burnley are a, a very well-run club. It, it gives you no stress, because as a City fan, you know, if I was working you know, in the late 90s in, in a high-stress job like you were, City were getting relegated, promoted, possibly liquidated. Like, I know Burnley are a family club, they're really well-run. But I guess you're Yeah, you're we literally nearly went out of business. Mm. You know, I mean, 1987, if we lost the last game of the season, we were finished. Mm. So, no, I think you get the ups and downs with it, but I, I, I don't feel that... Look, I want them to win, but it's not... When I go to a game, it's about more than the game. Mm. And, um, and it's, you know, the thing about how big a part of my identity... I mean, you know, these days, if, if I get into a cab 
the you know yes I'll still I'll still get I'll tell you the most questions I get most asked for during the referendum period it was all about Brexit um, I, I still get quite a lot of do you still see Tony Blair uh, <laughs> but I'll tell you what I get as much as anything now and I'll tell you it's not just about Bernie they say like your manager yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Taxi drivers like Sean Dyche. No, no, well, but the thing is that you, you two have quite a good relationship, yeah. right? You mentioned it in the book as well that there were two things actually straight away. One, I thought it was fascinating that you had this, um, we're discussing it on the way here, that you had this kind of code that you were trying to work out at one point where you were literally blaming yourself for Burnley losing. Yeah. But I wonder to, like, that's something that a lot of football fans would be able to relate to. Well, look, I'll tell you. The, the way I put it, I know this sounds utterly insane, but they don't do it anymore. But you know when they used to always say, you know, today's attendance is... Da, 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 da. Um, just, if you think about what's happening on the football field, right, now none of us know what's going on inside the heads of all of those players at any one point. So let's just say they say uh, today's attendance was 17,433. And one of those players hears that number and it even subconsciously makes him do something that he wasn't necessarily going to do. It makes him think in a certain way. That means... <laughs> <laughs> On he, some level. <laughs> it might have been different if it had said 17,334. But I think that's all So the person fans. who wasn't there... Could have made a difference. Made a difference. Yes. But I think I, I think we all on some level football fans. We, we I, all I, feel honestly, that I've way. had that. I've had that. You, li yeah, you, you start to look and think. If you stop, if you stop, um, Laporte on the way in mm. as he's getting off the bus, and you say, "Hey, can you sign yeah. that?" and he stops and signs it, you've changed his life. On that at that moment. At that moment, it means he doesn't drive into the uh, dressing <laughs> room at the same point. He doesn't sit down at the same yep. time as he would have done. I had that. Butterfly we, effect. We did City versus United. <laughs> I don't know if you remember, we were going to win the league the earliest ever against United. Yeah. Obviously, United beat us 3-2. Yeah. And we were doing stuff in the tunnel. And I was, I was petrified about meeting Fernandinho and he slips, he slips up because he's met me. <laughs> yeah, you know, or, you know I mean, or something or, happens and the atmosphere has changed. Or you bump into him or something. Yeah, you see, when I, when I have these conversations with, with, with Sean Dutch, he sort of looks at me really sad. Like, <laughs> this just, is tragic. You this cannot is... affect us in any way. <laughs> uh, we have this running gag because I, I, I sit about 10 rows behind him. Uh, we have this running gag that he's got an, ear, he's got an <laughs> he invisible earpiece and I'm talking to him the whole time. <laughs> and actually, I do quite often send Ian Woe text messages <laughs> say, tell him to do this, tell him to You're do that. You're in a very unique position with that. You must absolutely <laughs> love that. Because that's the dream, right? Yeah, but think but on some level that he, you could call the only thing is, that, The only thing is... He doesn't even pretend to take it seriously. Do you think he's humouring you? He doesn't even humour me. He just <laughs> says, oh, my God. You know, he, I'll tell you exactly what he says. He says, listen, I admit, I don't know anything about your world, right? That government <laughs> policy stuff, I don't know about that. You don't know anything about football. He says, you're like every football fan, you think you know about football. <laughs> and it's true, actually, they do watch a different game. Right. I can remember once going to see... Burnley, we, we, this, I think we were in the Championship, we were playing Arsenal in the Cup, and Arsenal were going to be playing United a couple of weeks later, so Alex Ferguson came to watch the game, and I was watching it with him, and he was saying things like, he's going to bring him off in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and then five minutes later, they'd be up with the board, and off he'd come, and he'd go on, and, you know, then he'd say, I think he'll move him. 
I think people <laughs> watch this. And it's like, and they are, they watch a different game. It's nice to feel, at least on some level, like that to have the conversation, like my voice is being listened to. But if even <laughs> the, nice, the most minute No, he thing. would listen. He would, he, I think he would listen on. In fact, he does listen on stuff like, you know, um, and some of the players sometimes, you know, when they get into kind of stuff with the media, yeah, yeah, whatever yeah. it might be. Um, so he might listen to stuff like that. And, and he's, you know, he's interested in, you know, you talk about the book, the book's about mental health and you're giving the impression it's all about Burnley. It's a bit <laughs> about Burnley. But, but he's interested in stuff like that because he will say to me, look, I don't, I don't get depression, right? I've never known it. I'm a, a up days and down days, same as everybody does, but not depression. And he's thinking, well, well, you know, we know, we know with Aaron Lennon. Aaron Lennon was, was mm. in Burnley. So he's thinking as a manager, I need to know more about that stuff. And, you know, so we'll talk, we'll talk about all sorts of stuff, but I'm not going to pretend that he... <laughs> <laughs> Listen to any of your tactical advice. We do, what we quite often do on the night before, maybe an away game, if I'm staying up somewhere, and we might go out for dinner. And even with me, he won't tell me the team, and I think that's quite right. Um, but what he will do, what he and Ian will do, so come on then, tell us what the team should be. <laughs> well, he'll make you work for it. And actually, the thing with Sean is uh, you can usually get it pretty close. Right, yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> well, it's usually two banks of four and two <laughs> big strikers, <laughs> isn't it, usually? Yeah, he's not going to change it too much. <laughs> um, let's, uh, let's, let's touch a bit more on the book. Um, and, and there was a bit in particular I mentioned to you before that I thought was really interesting. And I think one of the reasons why I found it so fascinating is because obviously we spend a lot of time working on football and talking about football players, people that you look at and most of us would just say, well, they've got a dream mm. life. And mm. a lot of people, in fact, Jeremy Hunt says it to you, says, your life's great. He found it really interesting that you, you were struggling because your life's great. Mm. Um, and I thought there was a really interesting parallel there. There seems to be this kind of superhero complex that we have around footballers mm. that they are completely infallible that they just won't make mistakes mm. or that they're not human and that at all times they'll do the right thing and be completely happy with their, their setup and their life which is ridiculous it's ridiculous to think like that why do we think like that what is it about people and our culture and our media that we think that you, you take somebody who's like a really really good footballer um so not a Harry Kane, because people will, will, will know Harry Kane, right? But if you, you, you think of a player that you... Let's say McTominay, right? I don't know McTominay, OK? But there he is, Manchester United. Uh, so he's obviously very, very good. He's a, he's a top club. He's playing for Scotland. He's an international footballer. Now, I don't know anything about him. But you watch him play, and you, you can see that guy's good at what he does. But why do we therefore assume that... And I'm picking him totally at random, by the way. But mm. why do we therefore assume that he's going to be absolutely blemishless in his private life? He's going to be able to kind of, you know, deal with children in hospitals and be nice to them and always say the right thing to their parents. And he's going to have a social conscience and he's, he's going to be informed about the world. Why do we assume that? They're footballers. And, that, and, I, and I hate, do you know what I think, this whole role model thing? I just think it's wrong that, look, some people like David Beckham, and it's not a criticism at all, on the contrary, he's a role model because he puts himself out there mm. as a role model. He's kind of saying, look at me, this is how I live my life. But <coughs> I think the role model thing, the idea that we should be interested in the private life of a footballer because they're a role model, is just an excuse for the kind of 
you know, that end of the media market to be able to say, we're justified in going after your private life, setting mm. you up with call girls and doing all that stuff. Whereas I just think they're footballers. And, you know, when you meet, you, you, a couple of years ago, I went to the um, end of year, I just happened to be in Manchester and they were having the end of year, part, the end of season party, right? So Sean says, why don't you come along? And I went along. And so there's Dwight McNeil, who's just breaking into the first team and is obviously a really good footballer. And yet, when you see him close up, you know, I'm thinking, God, not only could he be my son, he could be my grandson. He's so young. Mm. So why do we suddenly think he's a Premier League footballer, therefore we can pick on him? And I hate that kind of aspect of our... Do you think that's something to do with the British press as opposed to I think, other countries? I think other countries get it, but they don't get it the same way as they do here. Mm. Um, I think that our media is more into them, more voracious. Um, but I think there's something about social media as well. It was interesting, again, in the, um, in the Spurs documentary, Deli Ali saying, that, you know, and I hope he's managed to do that, by the way, because I think that's the right approach. Don't listen to the ones who are saying you're wonderful and don't listen to the ones who are saying you're not, because, you yeah. know, and it's back to the thing about, you know, what do they really know? You know, it's why I'm not a big fan of phone-ins in, in, in <laughs> you know, the, the, like when they say, why did he pick him? Well, he picked him because he's the manager and he's watching these guys day in, day out, and he knows I more do. about football than you do. I do appreciate the irony of not being a fan of phone-ins, yet having a private one with Sean Dyche yeah, every exactly. Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> Talks more to luck, doesn't yeah, it? Exactly. Yeah, you know what I mean, that's a phone. <laughs> Brilliant. One of the... One of the uh, one of the other things that I picked out in the book that I thought was was really great is there's this early story that you tell, and it's the first time I think probably that you would describe being lonely or on your own. Yeah. And it's something that all young <laughs> young boys and girls, the idea of I've got into a fight playing football or a little bit of a tear up, and I'm, I don't know what age you were at the time, but Seven young. Or eight. Yeah. And it's that feeling of. I'm, I'm leaving. I'm taking my ball and I'm going elsewhere. Um, why? Well, I stayed to the end of the game. Oh, you did stay to the end oh, of the I game. I stayed to the end of the game. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, we, we, it, it was. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. In Fiona, in the bit she's written in the book, who's lived with me for 40 years, she didn't know that story. Uh, so I, it, it, I probably buried it away. But when it when I wrote about it, because what it was was when I was going through. Can you tell the story? Actually, I've done yeah. a horrible job of explaining no, it's the fine. story. So, so my dad was from the Hebrides, a place called Tyree, and we used to go there every holiday, every summer holiday, and was playing this football game in the sort of little field by the school, and there was this big kid called Ronnie, and <laughs> I was quite a hard. Bit dirty footballer. Burnley fan. Yeah, exactly. Oh, <laughs> stereotyping, stereotyping. I sort of, even though he wasn't bored at the time, I modelled myself on Ashley Barnes. You run Proto into people, Barnes. you knock them over. And um, anyway, so this, I picked on this kid who was clearly a lot bigger than me. I don't think he was as good at football as me, but anyway, he just took me out several times and then we had a bit of a punch up and I lost badly and where my uncle and aunt lived was, a, was quite a long walk away it was like three or four miles and um and I sat I, I sat on this little rock and I was just sort of crying my eyes out to myself but I was saying to myself I've got to learn to look after myself can't let that happen again and it wasn't about getting physical it was about l relying on my own resources 
So I actually went home and I didn't tell anybody, what, uh, you know, I had bruises and stuff. I said oh, I was just a sort of, you know, <clears throat> a bit of a rough game and I'm fine. And, and um, so, yeah, so it's, yeah, you've gone, you've, you've obviously just been going through my book, go, where does it say football? Where does it say football? What <laughs> it's is it? But it's the things that stick out to you, isn't it? It's the things that you can, I suppose, we read in any book, particularly like this, that is, that it goes deep on a lot of different topics. The things that you pick out are the things that mm. immediately strike a chord of you that you go, oh, mm. that, that made yeah. me feel uncomfortable because mm. that was that was something that I've definitely felt at, at, at some point. Yeah. And it was yeah. just the same for you yesterday, wasn't it, when we were, we were talking about it. It's kind of like you have those moments where you're yeah, just moments like... Moments where you're just... You're horrible to someone on a football pitch because it doesn't, doesn't constitute real life, does it? What happens mm. on a football pitch, it should end. And so, for some people, it doesn't end. And you, and it, but it, you just sort of end up carrying it away with you. And it was, it's, again, there was a, that, that, that lovely moment later on where you actually sort of confront the idea of, I'm really spoiling the book for people who are going <laughs> to read it right cover to cover, particularly if you're a football fan. Um, but uh, there's a lovely moment where you sort of almost confront the idea of needing to then speak about things, right? And needing yeah, to then definitely. go and talk no, about No, you see, I, I find uh, I get a lot of nice feedback from people saying it's great you talk about being depressed and it's great you talk about getting through stuff and my brother's schizophrenia and my cousin who killed himself and trying to bring these things out into the open. But I get a lot out of it. I feel better for talking about it. I feel, and I've never felt ashamed of it. I've never felt, I know a lot of people feel that stigma and that taboo. I've never felt that. Um, I like talking about it. And, and also I feel that it's, I feel it's a really, you know, he has to have big Burnley is in my identity. My identity. I think my mental, health and my mental illness campaigning is a big part of my identity as well and it's important to me um, and also the fact that you know the family is so important in this that you know I think that when I started writing the book I, I was surprised at the end of it just how much of the family I put into it um, but I, I again I, I, I feel it's important to do that I think people have got to you, you know, it's, I don't feel ashamed of it I've got nothing to hide in how I feel and, and the stuff I've been through so, and given that there's not a single person in the world who doesn't know somebody mm. who's got a mental health problem, not one of us, I just guarantee. And even if we don't know it, you know, we all know people who are struggling. And yeah. um, why not get it out? Can I ask how your lockdown was in general for the last few months? Obviously, it's such a, you know, recent Yeah, it was, it was very up and down, to be honest, very up and down. Um, started out... You know, in the book, I've got this scale of one to ten on my moods, and I started out really quite enjoying it. Um, you know, we've got a nice house. Uh, actually, finding that the the one person that I'm with for 24 hours a day, I can we could get on for 24 hours a day. There's not a lot of couples can say that. Um, the dog, that's not my dog barking, by the way. My dog does not bark like that. Your dog's gorgeous. She's so gorgeous. <laughs> but the fact dog. that the dog was so happy to have us here the whole time. I found my creativity, I was still writing a lot and still doing a lot. But then I went into a, a minor dip and then I went into a ma very manic phase for a couple of weeks, which I did get a bit out of control. And then I went into a big crash, mm. um, which went on for a few weeks. And, and when you're in one of those periods now, it sounds like you, in the book you're incredibly reflective and able to kind of almost go bird's eye and, and, and look at where mm. you are with mm. the scale that you give yourself mm. how do you find your way out of a place like that particularly when you're in lockdown i mean it's such an mm. uncharted territory Nowhere for all go. of us yeah, yeah, yeah exactly um 
it's, you, yeah, it's interesting you think, you, you, because I've written about it, when you write a book, you have to kind of structure it. So I probably have been able to give a bit of a bird's eye view. When you're in it, I don't think I can. When you're in a, say, well, when you're in a manic phase, when I'm kind of just flying and I'm waking up at four, I'm full of energy, I'm full of ideas, I'm doing stuff. I mean, it's, it's pretty unbearable for Fiona. Um, <laughs> I, write, I write this piece about how I do this thing where I, I can, whatever situation I'm in, <laughs> this sounds absolutely crazy, but I can rewrite the lyrics of Flower of Scotland to any situation that I'm in, right? And I will wake up and sing one verse, and then I'll get in the bathroom and sing another verse about brushing my teeth, and then another one about Brilliant. water. And it's like, and for Fiona, it's... Is, is that why people describe you as having that, that energy? That sort of, someone, someone references you having like demonic yeah, energy. Yeah, that's what it's like. You've got like, and then, then somebody will, then I'll write something and then I'll, it's so like one day during that spell, I wrote, as well as doing all the other stuff I was doing and tweeting madly and all that stuff, I wrote 22 different articles for 22 different publications in 22 different countries, just because I wanted to. And it was like, no, they weren't bad. You know, they got published. Uh, mo nearly all of them got published. And they were nearly all about how crap Boris Johnson was at handling COVID. <laughs> um, so it was something I believed. But, you know, it's like, and th then what happened was that it's back to this kind of crazy stuff you make up in your head. So then we were out for a walk one morning and with the dog. And I was now doing this thing where I was changing the lyrics of national anthems. <laughs> God, this sounds so bonkers. <laughs> and it was during the middle of the Dominic Cummings flying off to Durham thing. <clears throat> so I was doing these national anthems and all the lyrics were about Boris Johnson protecting Dominic Cummings <laughs> for whatever reason. <laughs> so I got back home up to the top of the house and I thought, right, well, I've got to do the national, I've got to do our national anthem. So I did this thing, uh, the words were, what was it? God save, I was Boris Johnson singing the national You're anthem. You're in character. I'm in character as Boris Johnson, singing, <laughs> God save my gracious Dom, long live my noble dong, my <laughs> dong, my noble dom, uh, God save my Dom, send him to face the press, that will clear up the mess, like Prince Andrew at Pizza Express, <laughs> God save my dog, right? So it wasn't bad, Very right? Good. But then I thought, I thought, because it's the national anthem, I should wear a suit. So for the first time in lockdown, I put a suit and tie on. I didn't put any tie on, I put my brother's guard's tie on. And I wore his medals. And like, you just don't do that. You don't, you're non-military, you don't wear military medals, right? So and then I posted on social media, <sighs> including the defense minister and veterans. Oh my and, word. Yeah, and I thought, oh, what have I done now? And I knew, and do you know what? I knew that morning that was gonna happen. I knew something was gonna happen to bring that to an end. It had been two weeks where I'd been too energetic, mm. doing too much, not concentrating on... And the thing for Fiona that's hard is that she, she knows it's happening and she'll say, you know... You can feel it coming. Yeah, she knows it, but, but she knows that if, if you handle it the wrong way, you push it. And then I know after that I'm gonna, I'm gonna mm. go like that. Because one of the things that I, I, I thought when I was reading was, you're someone that, it, you take on a lot, like you, you're not taking on light topics. During the lockdown, you were taking on the world like, and, and, and being in a position that a lot of other people would have probably shrunk or, or would have probably walked away from because it's just so heavy to go at. And, and 
I wonder whether that's, again, I sort of made the table with football players. They have such enormous pressure on them and the eyes of everyone on them. If you're someone that knows you have like a, a difficult time or you're, you're going through a difficult time, it, is that, are you aware of that? Are you aware that this is a lot? Like, I'm taking no. on something big? No. No, I, and, and I don't really feel I was. <clears throat> In fact, funny, I, I would say, if I had a feeling about that at the time, it was a feeling of, of, of absolute powerlessness to do anything about it. Really? Yeah. So you're, what did you, watching on, did you... Well, that's the interesting thing. I, I look at the government, I don't want to get too political on this show, obviously, but th there's a sense of um, uh, detachment that you get. I think mm. there's always going to be, when coronavirus happened, if it was a Labour government, if it was a Tory government, there'd always, there'd always be a sense of, we're not happy. One mm. part of the population would be unhappy, of course. But there's a sort of de uh, detachment um, mm. a carelessness that makes I, people I, angry about the situation. Well, I, uh, but I don't feel people were angry enough because I, 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 at the start I tried to be really supportive. I thought this is so off the scale hard, don't just stand on the sidelines carping, you know, they're, they're, they're presumably doing their best, right? But then I felt they got into this mode where they were not being open with the public, they were not being honest about what was actually happening. Johnson was hiding. Um, I felt the ministers were you know, in the main, pretty woeful. And I just felt I can't just sort of do nothing. But I didn't feel I was taking on anything, you know, from the way you put the question, because I didn't feel I had any real kind of clout with it. And I'll tell you what provoked the... Um, when, as we got into lockdown, because the book was meant to be published in May. Right. And we postponed it because of COVID and, you know, no events were happening. Still not. Uh, and and, and it, it was just... It just felt odd to be when the whole world was convulsed with this thing, so we postponed it. And then to kind of keep my hand in, partly to keep my hand in, I did these interviews with people like Nicola Sturgeon yeah. and uh, Gary Lineker and Jeff Stelling and Jamie Carragher. And, and then I did this one with David Lammy, the Labour MP. And it was, I was just through the kind of manic phase and I was just starting this dive, I could feel it. And I said to David, how are you coping with watching the government deal with this? And he said something which just took me from there to... Because he said, listen, Alistair, I've talked to you about this before. These people don't care what we think. We are out of power. Uh, they've got a majority that, you know, they've got a majority of 80. They, they don't care. So we can rage all we want. And it was in the middle of the Black Lives Matter thing. He says, what's he doing about Black Lives Matter? What he's doing is exploiting the Churchill statue thing. That's what he's doing. He is not where we are. And it was like, and that's true. But it was like one of those moments where you thought, God, I've been getting up at four in the morning to rant and rave at these people, and it's probably having zero effect. Yeah. So that's how I felt. I didn't feel that's like That's really you, interesting. Yeah. Because uh, I, would, I would have, stupidly, but I, I, I would have assumed that that would have felt like... You, you perhaps knew that there was probably a lot of people watching on going, wow, there's a, there's a voice here. Someone is yeah. getting up at four o'clock in the morning. That's there's a fine. voice that's speaking that's on. And, and, but and how are you supposed to know that, I suppose? No, I knew that, but I didn't feel it was like, I didn't feel it was, I was taking anything on. It's, and that was no different, if you like, yeah. to somebody like, you know, Piers Morgan getting up at four in the morning and raging at the government as he was doing, to be fair to him. Um, but the, you sort of, there definitely came moments where you thought, well, okay, rant and rave all you want but you lot are out of power. Um, and I think if you're a, 
I, I, and I don't see myself really as a journalist, so I, I didn't feel like I was coming at it as a, from a journalist. I was coming at it from, a, if you like, a campaigner. I wanted to get my voice heard. Yeah, I definitely wanted to get my voice heard. But I didn't feel like, I'm really interested, you even think that, that was me thinking, I'm taking on something difficult. Really? Because I didn't feel that at all. Well, I just, I think primarily because of the heat that comes with taking a stance on anything nowadays. Mm. If you mm. take a stance on anything, suddenly it's like, right, you better stand behind that because that's going to be, because of the nature of social media. Yeah, I think it's a very it. modest take on your own uh, effect. I mean, we've been watching media from, you know, YouTube or BBC News, or, and certainly, you know, you are one of the most standout-ish kind of people talking about the government and the inadequacies of this government. Um, and actually taking a stand, as well, actually being like, look, there this, is, many this that is an opinion that I hold. Mm, so so it, it certainly, definitely watching on from the sidelines, felt as if mm. um, that was a that was a, a pressure to take on. That See, I, felt, I, <clears throat> I might have felt that during, maybe more during the, the, Bre the People's Vote campaign and trying to, you know, get another referendum on Brexit, maybe felt that bit more. But the other thing is, I've still probably got quite an old-fashioned view of politics. So actually, I do think that um, maybe part of the kind of rage that was coming out at the time is I was sort of feeling why aren't the opposition parties really going for them over this now mm. I sort of on a rational level I understand it national crisis da 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 but I think that there comes a point even in a national crisis where you have to call the government out and they just have screwed it up in my view I have to and they're getting away with far too much mm. what what comes next then for you because written a, another book to go with the many others that you've written you've you're now sort of come to, I suppose it's, it's a fairly kind of uh, interesting process, the idea of writing a book, because it must be so draining on time, energy, resource, like you have to put everything into it. What then happens when you, you finish that? Do you then set yourself an immediate, right, I want to do this next? I sort of do, but of course th that's the thing that coronavirus has, has changed. It's, 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 so like, for example, I was meant to be, um, I've, I, I got involved with this Australian organisation uh, about a year ago and because you can't go to Australia so can't do that I've got yeah I've got a couple of things on the go um, got another book on the go I've got, got another a, book on the go yeah straight away or have you been writing it the already same? writing it yeah yeah wow. um, and then yeah other projects but no I've, I've not got a like a I do th I think the part of what I want to do now is to see where this book lands because what's interesting about a book is that if you're in the campaigning space, I'm campaigning on mental health, trying to change the way we think and talk and act about mental health. And the book helps in that. It just gives, you know, the fact we're talking about it. We could probably have done a thing about football anyway, any time of the day, but with, with the focus has been on that because you've done that. And then once we get events back, events will start to come back. And I think the other thing in, in the mental health space is actually, is actually trying to persuade employers to do a lot more with their workforce, because I think, you know, without again, without me being too political, I don't really think this this government gets the whole mental health agenda. I think it's going to get really, really worse, a hell of a lot worse with the recession that's coming, and let alone the effects that COVID's had already. Um, but I think employers are going to be important, and I think the other thing that the the book tries to do is to sh say to people, there's an awful lot we can do for ourselves as well and for each other. <clears throat> I think one of the best bits in the book is actually the chapter Fiona's written about living with me when I'm depressed because I think for a lot of people that's really really hard and you know when you're depressed you, I'll be honest you don't think about it enough mm. 
you don't think about the effect you're having on other people because you're so wrapped up in your own feelings about yourself. And so, so yeah, I think for the next stage, it will, I'll see how the book lands and then that will shape the next shape the next phase of my role in the campaign which is going on in lots of different uh, other different places i had this i thought brilliant idea for a tv series which i can't get anybody to go for bbc have said no uh <laughs> itv have said no which is my idea for a tree olympics <laughs> you heard about this? yeah i've seen your i've seen your twitter post right, you, you see my tree you, of the yeah, day yeah, yeah. right so every country has a kind of reality tv show for trees every country gets their favorite trees and then they go into competition and how do they compete i mean public vote i'll yeah. be honest this is i think that's a youtube thing bbc maybe you should do it yourself yeah on really? Instagram Live or something, or TikTok. Try TikTok. Oh, I'm not doing TikTok. Is that the, one with the, is that the Chinese one? <laughs> <laughs> Donald Trump going to bad me on that one. <laughs> well, I, I'd seen your I'd seen your Twitter post, but I did maybe it, it was a, definitely during the lockdown. It made me think like I, I was running. You thought he's going mad. <laughs> I thought that's a great tree. No, I, don't, <laughs> I, I, I get loads. Did people send them in? Oh, at one point, back to football. At one point, I had Ashley Barnes. Ashley Westwood, Ben Mee, Jay Rodriguez, Sean Dutch, and Ian Wode all sending me their tree of the day. This is, see, this is unreal. This, the thing that's is, an right, impact. That's that, an that, impact. Yeah, because it? if you actually look at this, like, this is a unique talent that you have, right? How many other people in the world are in a position where they could genuinely start that sort of thing and then be like, no, Sean Dutch, you need to get in on this? We're sending pictures of trees, and yeah. and they go for it. And do you know what? Do you know what? He sent in three different entries, but because I've been in his garden, I know they were all taken from the same chair. <laughs> Ashley Westwood, Ashley Westwood, and Ben Mee, they went out and looked. I love that. For good trees. Good Let's finish on Burnley. What's, <coughs> yeah. what's it, like? What are you excited about for this year, or for this season? Sorry. <sighs> it's really hard to say that because what I'd be really excited about was being able to get back to games. Yeah. Um, we'll have to see how that goes, and you know, I, I, I think I do think Sean Dyche has done an incredible job at Burnley. We're still defying gravity, if you think about. It. If you look at the, you know, the wage bills, the size of the yeah. squad, and everything, we're still defying gravity. Uh, and he's got an, he's got an aging squad. He has got an aging squad. There's no doubt about that. So, you know, I think the fans will be looking to the kind of next steps and see where it goes next. You hope in these days. Definitely, because I think, <clears throat> you know, he's, he's, he's now the longest serving manager in the Premier League. I think there's only, um, what's his name with the hair at Wickham? Uh, oh, yeah, Ainsworth. Yeah. Ainsworth. Yeah. Ainsworth. Ainsworth. Yeah, he's yeah. the only yeah. manager who's been at a club longer. Um, and he, it is incredible what he's done, it really is. And, and I, I think, look, I obviously want him to stay, but I, I think there's something about, something I find odd about the way he never gets linked with these. A bit of snobbery, isn't there? There definitely is, and I think it's how he looks, I think it's how he sounds, I think it's his... And people go on about, you know, I don't... People say what they like about Burnley. We play a lot of good football. And the, the fact that he puts results so high up the priority, well, tell me a single manager in the world that doesn't do that. Mm. And like Eddie Howe, Every time, you know, he was always, oh, could Eddie Howe be the next Arsenal manager? Could Eddie Howe be up for one of the big jobs? They never say that about Sean. And I'll say the other thing about Sean. I think he's, I'll say two things about it. One is I think he's one of those guys who is, 
he really takes his work seriously and he's, and, he, and he's interested in the whole kind of all the stuff around it but I don't think he's got that kind of I think he could go off and do something else um, do you think England something well, like that more of an international role or? yeah or I actually I actually have <laughs> been saying to look learn a few languages I think I could see Sean doing a big job abroad Italy I could see him Two yeah. banks of four. Brandon <laughs> against Juventus, <laughs> Jay Rodriguez. Yeah, Sign Ashton. I'd like to see him. When I, I've, been doing this, I've been doing this German course, right? Because I did German at university and I forgot a lot of it. So I've, I've been relearning it. And there's a, you talk about podcasts, there's a brilliant German podcast called Phrasenmeer, which, me, which it, Phrasenmeer, it means mowing phrases. So don't get me what the title's all about. <laughs> But basically, they're incredibly long interviews, mainly with managers. And they're absolutely brilliant. And I listened to the one the other day with the manager of Werder Bremen. And I remember thinking, this, this guy's really bright, but Sean's brighter. And I mm. could see... Anyway, we'll see where he goes. But I'd, I'd, I'd like him to stay at Burma. It's, this has been so much fun. Thank you Enjoyed so much Thank for taking the time out for us. We really, really appreciate would you, it. Because I don't like plugging my own book. Would you at least tell people it's not all about football? It's literally <laughs> hundred and uh, is it 320 pages about football and mostly Burnley with occasionally funeral stories thrown in for good measure. No, no it, it, like, I, I, can't, uh, yeah, I can't stress this enough. It is... Um, it's incredibly deep, but it's something that I, when I finished, I was so glad that I read and, 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 and I got a lot from it. And it made me think about people in, 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 in my life as well that I needed to sort of reach out to mm. and, and people that I should be taking, helping to take more care of as well. Mm. Um, it's called Living Better, isn't mm. it? And it, it, is, it is phenomenal. So do check it out. And we'll leave a link in the description and we'll put links across Twitter and everything so you guys can check it out. Thanks again. Pleasure.